Now, a 2018 study published in Psychological Science, that's a journal, uh, revealed that people across the world have become self-focused in recent years. Uh, He said that we are now a more individualistic world than a collectivist world. Our society, especially in the West, are now more self-reliant and more self-centered than we've ever been. In fact, uh, another study said that narcissism has particularly been on the rise uh, across the world. A large reason, of course, for this uh, increase in self-centeredness is that we all live and swim in economic structures that promote self-centeredness. The underlying premise of the market system that we rely on to to provide for ourselves is self-interest, isn't it? Uh, Adam Smith's invisible hand. In the market, the consumer is sovereign. Uh, He or she is always right. So if that's how we live economically, and the economy forms a huge part of how we live, it is no surprise, therefore, that as markets have domin- continued to dominate our lives, uh, we, in every area of our lives, we have also seen that increase in self-dependence, self-reliance, than we've ever been as a society. Uh, the motto of our age is that I am what matters most. Um, I am the center of the universe. My autonomy is paramount. In fact, all the culture wars that are going on right now, whether it's the work movement, BLM, the um, LGBT, or climate change, all of those uh, issues that, uh, that are going on, that society is fighting on free speech, everything, it comes down to this, isn't it? Human autonomy is paramount. That is the belief that's driving a lot of the problems we have today. And of course, the more economically prosperous and technologically advanced uh, we have become, the more self-reliant and self-admiring we have become. Technology and economic prosperity drives that, isn't it? Uh, We we have come to believe that science uh, answers every question. Uh, It's very much uh, self-worship. How should we as followers of Jesus live in a world where we are constantly tempted to live self-focused lives? where we are taught to worship ourselves? That's the question uh, I want us to answer. How do we live in such a society where the pressure for self-worship is so relentless? Well, to help us answer this question, please turn with me there to Psalm 131. Uh, If you've been with us, you know that this psalm is part of the Psalms of Ascent. And this particular psalm was written by King David. We don't know when David wrote it, uh, but we know that at some point in his life, uh, at some point in the life of the Old Testament, we might say, this psalm which was written by David was added to that collection of psalms that the Bible have come to be called the Songs of Ascent. These are songs which were sung by pilgrims uh, as they went on their way to Zion or Jerusalem. Uh, The Songs of Ascent are not songs of self-motivation. There are songs that encourage us not to trust in us, but to put our hope in God. In fact, as I looked at Psalm 131, I realized that verse 3 really probably sums up what the Psalms of Ascent are teaching. Because we saw a similar verse, this, this verse also in Psalm 130. It says this, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So the Psalms of Ascent are about encouraging us 
to rest on God. And today we are looking at this Psalm 131. And I think David in this Psalm gives us three answers to the question we are asking today. How should we live in a world that tempts us to be self-focused? There are three answers I think David gives us in this famous psalm. The first answer in your outline is that we are meant to rest on God, not ourselves. We are meant to rest on God, not ourselves. How should we respond? Well, we should rest on God, not on ourselves. That's the first thing David wants us to understand in this psalm. Now, earlier this year, uh, the BBC published an article on their website to help young people who are feeling rubbish about themselves. That's what the article said. It's to help young people who are feeling rubbish about themselves. What was the BBC's advice to help them? Well, it says, the best way to respond when you feel rubbish about yourself, uh, particularly if you, you see somebody, you feel rubbish about yourself because you see somebody's doing very well and they're getting on very well in life and your life doesn't feel like that. The best way to respond if, when you're in that situation is to love yourself more. That's what the BBC said. And they gave four tips. Uh, to, this, this, is, this is actually written for young people. This uh, is the CBB's website. And uh, they gave four tips to, to our young people. The, the, I'll just pick th- three of them. The, the first top tip is give yourself a hug, right? Fold your arms, and they literally say this, fold your arms around your body and give yourself a squeeze, right? And it says, you, you play the most important role in your wellness, as they, they're obviously into mindfulness. And hugging yourself can help remind yourself of your inner power, apparently. That's, that's what the BBC says. The second tip, it says, talk to yourself. It says, a familiar voice is all we need, right? So record a voice note on your mobile and remind yourself, you're doing great. I am enough. That's what you should record. And the third tip they gave is, of course, prioritize yourself. Give yourself the attention, the time, and energy that you deserve by dedicating at least 15 minutes a day uh, to yourself, to think about yourself, to encourage yourself. That is how our society says we should respond to our question. How should we live in a self-focused world? The BBC says, well, love yourself more. Uh, When we feel left out, we should worship ourselves even more to keep up with other people. I don't know what you make of that, but I know what the Bible makes of that. uh, Because King David, um, who had every blessing we can think of, some of us, many of us, design life, had actually learned a different way. Not to love himself, he had learned to deny himself and to rest on God. He tells us this in this short prayer. Look at verse 1 there of Psalm 131. David says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Let's just pause there. David, notice David says, my heart is not lifted up. What does that mean? It simply means I am not proud. What is pride? Pride is self-worship. That the prideful person has no room for God because he's so full of himself. Right? And David is saying to God, I am not like that. I am resting on you. I am not trying to live independent of you. 
I am not trying to worship myself. My heart is set on you. I am resting on you. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. And just to emphasize this point that David is resting on God, uh, look what he goes on to say. He says, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now, we should be careful here. David is not saying that he lacks ambition in life. He's not saying that he has no talent uh, to be, or even a desire to be great necessarily. What? That would not be David, would it? David lived in high gear. He wanted to do great things for the nation, for the glory of God. Uh, he was a military genius. He defeated all Israel's enemy and, to, and captured Jerusalem. It is David who came up with the idea to build the first temple. And God told him to stop, to just slow down, that God was going to take care of it. David had actually shed too much blood to go on to build the temple. So David lived, he was a motivated man. He, he lived in top gear, we might say. And so David is not saying I'm lazy or, or, or I don't want to do anything. No, the key to understand what David is saying is the last word in verse 1. Let's look at that again. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised to eye. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David is saying to God, look, I know the limits you have set for me. And I am content to live within those limits. I will only do great things they may be, but I will only do them if you want me to do them. I only do what you want me to do when you want me to do. I am renouncing my self-will. I am waving my white flag of surrender. I am like a windy child with his mother. I want to do what you want when you want me to do it. That's what he goes on to say. Look at verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wind child with its mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. What is a wind child? Well, a wind child is a baby that has been disciplined by his mother to no longer drink the mother's milk he once thought was so something he couldn't do without right and we see that in, in verse 2 the wind child is calm and quiet with his mother because he's happy to wait for his mother to feed him when she thinks it's the right time now now at one point in the process of the child waiting to moving from depending on the milk and mother's breast if you like to eat, feeding what the mother desires, at one point during that process, the child has felt rejected by his mother, isn't it? As the mother has been withdrawing that uh, breast milk from him. As she has made him to wait. But David is saying, this child has gone beyond that process of rejection and is now sitting calm and collected. The child has moved, if you like, from self-obsession and restlessness to rest and be satisfied in the arms of his mother. And David is saying to us, 
This is how I am with you, Lord. This is how I am with you, Lord. He's saying to God, I am now your wind child. I just love being in your arms with you. I am no longer living for myself to hug myself. I am resting in your arms. And all children of God are meant to be like David here. That's how we're meant to be like. We are meant to abandon any self-focus and to rest in the loving care that God has for us in Christ. We must be like a wind child. We must, we are meant to rest on God alone. Now, when you think about that and you look at verse 2, if you're honest, this is hard. This is difficult what David is talking about. It is hard for us to only want what God wants for us and when God wants for us. Don't miss the when. When God wants for us. Many of us are very good at wanting what God wants for us, but are we good with the when? The answer is no. I find that very difficult. And I ask myself, why do I find it so difficult? To be like this. Well, the reason this is difficult is because even though, as followers of Jesus, we have received a new heart from God, we've been born again, and we have been given that capacity to wait on God, growing and trusting God is difficult because it requires us to, to trust in His character. Many of us doubt the character of God. You know, every act of submission in life comes down to whether we can trust the person with our lives. Can you trust the government uh, that's being led by the, the current government? Well, if you trust them, you follow their recommendations on COVID and every analysis they've done. So you go along, you obey the orders. Not because you fear the law or anything else like that. You just trust the government, right? Can I trust the doctor with this operation? Well, if I can... I am happy to have that operation. If I can't trust the doctor, I say, no, sorry, this is not for me. Can I trust this pilot to fly me safely? Well, if I can, I happily get on the plane and put my life in their hands. If I'm not, you know, I, I, I pass on on some airlines, right? <laughs> I can't trust them. If we trust God, we trust, and it's the same with, true with God. If we trust him, in him, we are happy to do what David is saying. We, 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 we are happy to rest on God alone. When we trust God, we know that God means well for us. And we gladly abandon any self-focus and surrender our life in his hands. The key is, who do we think God is? What is his character like? And David here tells us that we can rest on God. Why? Because God is caring. He cares for us. That's the second truth. The first answer he gives us is that we are meant to rest on God alone. The second answer, why should we do that? Well, this is the second answer. We must rest on God because he cares for us. We must rest on God because he cares for us. Notice there that King David has absolute confidence in God. How do we know that? Because he believes God cares for him like a mother. What a wonderful image. Look at this too, again. But I have calmed and quietened my soul. Like what? Like a winged child. Not alone, 
but with its mother. Like a winged child is my soul within me. Now I know, as I look, as I look at some of you, uh, are currently have little ones, you are mothers, and some of you have been mothers in the past. And as mothers, you know the depth of the love that you have for your, for your children. Uh, you would move heaven and earth to do the best for them. And I know, just talking to some of you, the huge sacrifices you make to provide for your kids. And David, he's saying to God here, when he thinks of God, perhaps David thinks of his own mother, doesn't he? Uh, he realizes he something in his mother. In fact, he talks about his mother in Psalm 22. He sees something of his mother's care in God. He's looking at God and he says, you deeply care for me like when I was little, to how my mother cared for me. You are patient, gentle, and sacrificial with me. Your love for me leaves no stone unturned. That is why I'm like a winged child with you. David is resting on God like this, you see, because he has experienced this intimate care of God in his life. And, and just reading the Psalms will give you that, that sense. I mean, I, I flagged up Psalm 22. But if you, if, if, you, if you read Psalm 23, David tells us, isn't it? He has been through many valleys. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. David has been through many valleys in his life. The valleys with the lion. The valleys of, of facing Goliath. The valleys of, 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 of the fall from sin when he sinned with Bathsheba. The valley of, 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 of when Absalom, his son, rebelled from him. And even when David himself sinned with the census, he's, he's been through all of these experiences. And I think he's writing this psalm perhaps towards the end of his life. And he's saying to himself, God, you have been true to me. You have cared for me. So he knows this truth that God is a caring God from experience. But fundamentally, he also knows it um, from who God has revealed himself to be. From the revealed truth of God. Because in this psalm, David is reminding us that the God of Israel is what? Is Yahweh. Look at this one. How does it address God? O Lord, O Yahweh, my heart is not lifted up. How does David encourage his people? Verse 3. O Israel, hope in Yahweh. Hope in the Lord. Uh, if you were here last week, you remember we looked uh, a bit in detail at the name of God, Yahweh. We saw from Exodus 3 that it means I am who I am. And we said this name reveals to us two things. First, it tells us who God is. He is a timeless, self-existent, self-sufficient, never-changing, all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful sovereign of the universe. Secondly, we said that this name doesn't just tell us about who God is. The name has been given to Israel for Israel's benefit. God, in his divine essence, is actually nameless. He doesn't need a name. He gave this name so that Israel can use this name to call on God. To, as part of that covenantal relationship God has established with them. To say the name of God is to remember for Israel that we worship our covenant, committed, and caring God. Just the name of God reveals his care for his people. And so when David here calls on God as Yahweh, he's saying to God, 
You are the reason I can rest in you. Not simply from experience, but you, your very essence speaks it. Not simply because of what you have done for me. I am resting in you because I, your very nature you have revealed is that you are the true God who has bound his very self to us through this covenant relationship with his people. You are my caring Yahweh. I can trust you, David is saying to God, I can trust you because all your attributes of who you are speak for me. You are my timeless, never-changing, all-knowing, all-path care. And just as I reminded you last week, I'll remind you this week. The good use of the Psalms, as we see God like this in the Psalms, is that the caring God of Israel has come to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Yahweh among us. In Jesus, we see the caring heart of God on full display. You know, when we read through the, the gospel accounts about our Lord Jesus, what do we see as we went through Mark? What did we see? We saw the Lord Jesus walking around Israel, isn't it? And what is he doing? He's dishing out divine care. Now we see Jesus uh, caring for people who no one has no time for. He is healing the sick here. He is making lepers clean. He is raising the dead. He is driving out demons. That's our God. Caring for those who no one has time for. In Jesus of Nazareth, the infinite God has shrunk to become one of us. Why? So that he can lift us up in our flesh like a caring mother and minister to us in his arms, minister to our deepest needs in his arms. And we know, beloved, that Jesus, our Lord, cares for us because he went to the cross to take care of our biggest problem in life, our separation from God. Right there on the cross, our Lord Jesus bled and died for our sins. You know, because of our sin, you see, all human beings by nature are separated from God. Right? We, in, what, what that means is that we are separated from the full comprehensive care of God. We still enjoy, even as sinners who are not repentant, still enjoy some care from God. Right? Because God, by his common grace, dishes out care to the obedient and disobedient. But their enjoyment of God's grace is partial. We might say that sinners are, are like a rebellious teenager living in the house, who is always in his room, right? He never gets out to talk to his parents, right? He eats food for free. He's always in the fridge, right? But he doesn't want to talk to anyone else. He just wants to do his own life. There's a sense in which that rebellious teenager is enjoying the common grace of the parents. But we know that he's missing out on a lot. He never sits with his parents. He never learns wisdom from them. He never goes on holiday with them. He's just in his room. It's a shallow existence. And that's sinners. That's the picture of sinners who haven't truly repented before God. But in fact, their situation, the situation of sinners is much worse than that. Because we're not just cut off from God by our sin. We are also under the everlasting punishment. And we will suffer eternal judgment in hell forever. 
But the good news of Jesus coming, uh, entering our world, is that he has come as a divine carer, you see, to restore us to himself by paying the price on the cross for our rebellion against God. Right there on that Roman cross, Jesus took on himself the full weight of God's almighty punishment. The full weight that you and I deserve. He suffered the very wrath of God in our place. He did that so that those of us who have truly repented of our sin and trust in his death can have, have that care of God for us. Christ, by his death, has forgiven and restored us to himself. Now in Jesus, we, 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 if you like, all the attributes of God now speak for us as they spoke for David. Right? God isn't now looking to torment us. No, he, he looks to care and nature us. That's the permanent caring relationship we have with God now. It's a permanent caring relationship. You know, the singer Whitney Houston, I've, said, I've mentioned a song before in that song, The Greatest Love of All. You remember the song she says, some of you, she says, everybody is searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I have never found anyone who fulfilled my needs, a lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend on me. And, and what Whitney is saying is that she had never in her life had that person who genuinely cared for her as a mother cares for the needs of her children. And she acknowledges that she, she has tried to look for such a person through many relationships, through firm. But her life had ended, you see, as a, as a restless search for someone. She never, she never found this person she was looking for. And as believers, we're immediately heartbroken by that, isn't it? Because we realize, you see, that, 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 that it was a fruitless search. It was a fruitless search. People are searching, cannot find what they're searching for in, th in these things. It is found in God alone. Have you ever wondered why our politicians have so many extramarital affairs? The answer is the same. It is because there is an empty hole inside every human heart that cannot be satisfied by power and firm. Have you ever wondered why the rich who have so many billions still fight for that extra million? I mean, there is a guy who packs, who packs in the car park here. He's quite rich down the road, and, but he never likes to pay. Like, he just... It's like he's always parking there, driving over the lawn, even when the gate is closed. But I know he's a very rich man. He's got a big house down the road. Why is a man like that? Well, it's funny, isn't it? Well, the reason is because he has a hole in his heart that money cannot pledge. He's still fighting for that extra two pounds. Is it? He's searching for something that the world cannot give him. Oh, people are searching for that. What, what only God can provide, that lasting divine care. And the wonderful thing is that we, we have that in Jesus. We've got that. We are the richest people in the world, the most satisfied people in the world, because we have God in Christ. The care of God has the infinite capacity to satisfy every human heart which turns to him. 
No matter how much money, beloved, you accumulate, how much love you receive, how many accomplishments you get in life, you know, if you have no Jesus, it's valueless. You know, Augustine of Hippo recognized this truth, didn't he? He said to God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And if you are trusting in Jesus, you have this God who, has, who satisfies you, the divine carer, has found you. You haven't gone out searching for him. Paul says we are, we are lost and we know we are without God and without hope in the world. It is God by his grace who reached out to us, who searched for us to satisfy us. And he's doing that every day, says David here. And like a mother for a child, God is showering all his love on our lives to nature and care for us, even during difficult circumstances. He's ensuring we are provided for. So what then is our responsibility? Well, our responsibility is to just rest on God. We must rest on his chest, as it were. How do we do that? Well, that's the final truth we learn here. We do that by, we rest on God through divine training or divine winning, I guess. Through divine training. It is God himself who enables us to rest on him. That's the third and final truth. How has David, look at that, um, verse 2 again. How has David come to rest in God? Well, it is, it is through divine effort. Look at verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wind child with its mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. You know, when I first read that, I thought, hmm, it sounds a bit like he's saying I've, I've done this all by myself, right? Well, it's certainly true he's not a bystander. Uh, David is not a bystander. But, but the key point, the key image here is the mother, isn't it? The wind child with its mother. That's the key phrase in verse 2. David is using this image of a wind child because he's implicitly saying to God, God, you have made me become like this. If you're a mother, you know that. Well, you don't have to be a mother to know this one. No baby one day wakes up and says to themselves, I have decided from now on I'll no longer drink mommy's milk. If our mothers didn't stop us, we'll still be drinking mommy's milk. There are still people who live as babies. It's the mother who does all of this. It's not a normal baby who wakes up even one day saying, I don't want to drink mommy's milk. There's nothing normal actually about that. The baby must crave what the baby has been used to, the mother's milk. Therefore, it takes the mother to undertake the winning process. It is winning for a purpose, isn't it? It is the mother who wins off the baby. So when David says in verse 2, but I've come and quieted my soul like a wind child with his mother, he's saying to God, you have made me rest on you. Again, that wonderful verse in Psalm 22, where he says, when I was a baby, from my, from my childhood, I, you know, from my mother's womb, from my, from my mother's breast, you taught me to depend on you. That picture, isn't it? God has made him rest on God. Like a mother with a wind child, God started the process in David. The point David is making is that we grow as children of God by God training us. You know, mothers do potty training and other sorts of things. We, we, we grow to, to, to with, in God, we grow to, a, to, to, to rest on God by God working in us, uh, painfully I should say, to abandon self-obsession and helping us to start living for him. 
How does that look like in practice? Well, God works on our hearts, isn't it? Like a mother. The mother works to win the child of mom's milk uh, to something better, doesn't it? And, and she does that by withdrawing mom's milk from the baby. And as time passes, the baby starts to enjoy new food, right? And he starts resting on mommy's chest without constantly needing to be fed by mommy's milk, as it were. Or any milk, if the mother is winning the child of that sort of milk. But he's resting, and as he's been weaned off, he's resting on mommy's chest. Why? Because he's come to know that it's wonderful to be on mommy's chest, just to be with her. And this is the same process that God does in our hearts, you see. He, he trains us to rest on him by, what does he do? He, he graciously withdraws some blessings we enjoy in life. He takes away the milk of good health, right? We've learned to depend on that. He removes the dependency of a marriage that we, cl- we have clinged on, that, that we thought was our purpose in life. He removes the, the, the blessing of a good friend. We're wondering, why is our friend who we depend on behaving like that? He withdraws the comfort of good finances for some people. He, he allows us to go through difficult financial times. That is the way of God. Ezekiel landed with the loss of his wife. David landed himself with the loss of his child. Hosea landed with a poor marriage. Job landed by losing everything. They, they learned that God sometimes hides his face from his people to draw them out to depend on him. In those moments of winning process, our life is full of tears, isn't it? And the heartache. You know, when my, mother, when my, my wife used to withdraw our motherly uh, sort of milk from our daughter, I was, I was very weak. I was like, she's crying, just give her the stuff. <laughs> right? It's heartbreaking, isn't it? As, as dads, we, we struggle with that. Like, here's the milk. Come on, get on with it. I've got a newspaper to read as it were. Right? It's, it's, um, it's full of heartache for the baby. Full of tears. It's heartache for us, isn't it? As God's child. We, 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 it feels like he's, he's withdrawing his loving face from us. He's still there, but it feels like he's not there. Our prayers, when we're praying, they, they seem to be eating a brick wall. But you see, just as the baby discovers over time that the mother means well, we also discover through our tears that God loves us, cares for us. And as we cry through those tears, isn't it? We find ourselves proving God, proving the words of David in verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wind child with his mother, like a wind child is my soul within me. You see, the trial of life have knocked us off our feet, but they, they have made us land back on our knees. As God has trained, God trains us through those withdrawal of comforts, withdrawal of blessings, we have moved from what? Self-obsession and impatience to timely waiting on God. May your will be done, becomes our prayer. In that divine training, he is growing us into this wind child. A child, beloved, who is just content to be with God in the arms of God, not because of what God gives us. That's the wind child. You are enough, Lord. You are enough. That is the work of God. That's what David is saying. But David is clear that we have responsibility. What is our responsibility? 
Look at this too. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wind child with his mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. David is saying, I have cooperated with the Lord to make me reliant on him. I have surrendered to his will in my life. I am now his wind child. Now, now, I don't know when David made this assessment in his life, but I have a feeling it must have been after the sexual sin with Bathsheba. Because in, in, in Psalm 51, in that prayer of repentance, David prayed to God to make him just like this. We read that in Psalm 51, it's verse 10 to verse 12. I'll just read it for you. It says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold and invest, um, the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then we jump to verse 17. Notice what he says. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It certainly looks like that prayer, isn't it? Verse Psalm 131. It looks like that prayer has been answered for David in Psalm 131. But the key point I'm emphasizing is that David had realized he had responsibility to live a repentant life before God that cooperated with God. And to drive on this personal responsibility, David ends Psalm 131 uh, with a call on his people to rest on God completely. Look at this three. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, verse 3 is a call on all the people of God through time and space, the true Israel, to, 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 to resist any temptation to live for ourselves, to persevere in surrendering wholeheartedly to God. Truly resting on God like this, of course, is going to cost you, isn't it? The winning process, I've said, is, is painful. And we must not be discouraged, beloved, because it is all part of God winning us. Now, some of you I know here from personal experience, uh, you know the pain of being divinely trained by God. You have experienced what David has experienced. You have experienced terrible heartache, which are, as God is seeking to make you depend on him, through that process it sometimes, sometimes made you question the love of God. And yet in the middle of your tears, you have drawn closer to God, haven't you? You know you have learned, not like Whitney to depend on yourself, you have learned, like David, to depend on God. It is what uh, the Puritan said, the, the, the old God, as she said, the reformed old God says, you have proved God. So sometimes he had that phrase, you have proved God. You have proved the words of verse 2. But I have come and quieted my soul like a wind child with his mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. Now some of us here currently are maybe in a different situation. We are going through deep personal suffering. We have not yet arrived at this too. We are facing many setbacks. And we are frankly asking now, where is God in my life? Well, the answer, beloved, is verse 2 for you. This is what God is doing. He's winning you. Moving you from self-dependence to depend on him. 
He is bringing difficult circumstances to help you live for him in a self-focused world. To win you off self-worship. Beloved, problems in our lives always change our relationship. They either drive us closer to Jesus or they drive us away from Jesus. And this is true for the blessings we enjoy. Not just problems, even blessings. Blessings can either make us bow down in worship to God or they can make us bow down in worship to yourself. And every single blessing God has given you, from children to work to church to other things, you have to ask yourself, is it driving you to bow down to God or has it made you bow down to yourself? Today, beloved, as I come to an end, let us resolve that whatever situation we're in, in good or bad times, we do what David is doing. We rest on God no matter the cost. We say with Israel, with David, O Israel, hope in the Lord from, notice, this time forth and forevermore. In other words, resolve today to rest on God when your life looks like it is falling apart. Is your life falling apart this morning? Rest on God. Rest on God when your life is looking up. It looks like you are rebuilding your life. It looks like you are on the march. God has been blessing you. Your boss loves you and everything is going great. Rest on God. Rest on God if you're weeping and mourning from a terrible loss. Rest on God if, 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 if your family life is very, very difficult. Perhaps you have loved ones that are sick. Rest on God, beloved. Rest on God in those times and do it when you're laughing with joy. When you feel you have it all together. When the teacher always smiles at you even when you have no confidence. Well, don't depend on yourself. Rest on God. And rest on God when you are silent by yourself. When you are tempted uh, perhaps to think much eye of yourself. No, rest on God. And rest on God, of course, when you are with your loved ones. In, in times of blessings and in time of trouble. Let us resolve to do this because, you see, we belong to God. And we have a new nature in Christ. Beloved, living for ourselves is no longer our default. In Jesus, we have a new heart that wants, that, 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 that longs to submit to the divine training to grow and become more and more the wind child of God. Yes, there will be times in which we, we focus on ourselves even with new hearts. But if we are truly born of God, we want this. At a deeper level, we want this. We want to grow in resting on God and not ourselves. But if you leave this morning and you go home and you just, well, it's just been another Sunday, you know, Psalm 130, that's interesting. We look forward to next week. If that's your attitude, if there's no genuine plea even now to, to change, for God to change you, to train you even deeper, well, are you a Christian or not? Well, the answer is not. We don't need to debate that. If that's your response, then you're truly not converted. You're still dead in your sins, and your, your end is everlasting punishment. God will not share eternity with self-worshippers. Be sure of that. You know, Amy Carmichael says, those who think too much of themselves, don't do what? 
don't think enough. And I should add that what they don't think enough of is God's terrible judgment that awaits those focused on themselves. So beloved, out of love, I plead with you to ensure you leave this place with repentant hearts that are resting on God alone through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.